Alright, episode one of the Peripatetic Podcast. So since last week, when I made an episode, I was in Playa del Carmen. I've since taken the ferry across the Yucatan Channel to Cozumel. It was a short ferry ride, about 45 minutes, cost about 12 US dollars. And so yeah, now I'm in Cozumel, it's a small island. It is, to be exact, let's see, wrote it down here, 650 kilometers square, or 250 square miles around. It's oval-shaped with a big chunk missing out of the northern part, and is canted so that it goes from, it runs from uh, northeast to southwest. The population, the, the ferry terminal and the cruise ship terminal is in the center of the island on the west coast so the coast facing Playa del Carmen where all the ferries come from and from there there's just a bunch of restaurants and dive shops and hotels and all the normal tourist stuff you'd expect and so that's where all the population is that's where all the the industry the main economic driver is tourism around here The population of the entire island is about 100,000. 80,000 live in San Miguel de Cozumel, which is the city I just described, the area around the ferry and uh, cruise ship hubs there. So nearly everyone you meet is either a restauranteur or scuba instructor or some sort of tour guide, motorcycle rentals, taxi driver, that kind of thing. The island was first inhabited by Mayans in the first century and then discovered by the Spanish in the 1500s. The population was about 10,000, estimated to be about 10,000 when they found it. And the smallpox brought by the Spanish brought that number down to around 300. So it just pretty much wiped the island out. In this is an interesting fact. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln ordered the Secretary of State to meet with the, a Mexican representative to possibly buy the island of Cozumel with the idea of exporting American slaves, freed slaves, and f- establishing a colony, a slave colony. Not as slaves, but as to get them out of America because there would obviously be a lot... There, as there was a lot of problems reintegrating slaves back into society. Um, That didn't happen. The idea was summarily dismissed by Mexican president Benito Juarez. Um, So yeah, it's very hot here. Even in January, it's been in the 80s throughout. We had a quote-unquote cold front. It got down to like 72, but very generally very hot very humid and uh, it's considered a tropical savanna climate and the other thing is they don't have AC like the hostel I'm staying in it's just open open doors open uh, walls I should say and thatched roofs even the houses a lot of them don't have windows it's just exposed to the air and they just cool their houses with fans and being tough (laughs) and it it, the first few days was like 
rough. I couldn't sleep hardly at all, but you really do get used to it. It's gotten a lot better for me. So yeah, it's it's been really great so far. It's a nice little island and good food, good Mexican food. Not the best, not, I had better in Playa and just from talking to other travelers, apparently the rest of Mexico is a lot better. I obviously don't have a broad base to compare that to, but I've had some, some good Mexican food. So some interesting things that happened this week. I rented a scooter, which was awesome. For 20 US dollars, I had a scooter delivered by a local company, came straight to my hostel. The guy met me outside, signed a few papers, shook hands, handed him 20, 20 US dollars. And for that price, I get 24 hours with the bike, which is in great condition, the helmet, all the, the full tank of gas, insurance, everything included. So it was really a good deal. And the whole time I was riding, I just had a huge smile on my face. It's so much fun. The roads aren't that bad. I mean, the road, the conditions of the roads themselves are great, but the traffic is a little crazy if you're not used to it. But having spent time in places like Thailand and Nepal and the Philippines, um, it's much more calm than that. There's at least stop signs, and but you just go with the flow of traffic. You just there's a ton of bikes, so you just get in the bike lane and do what everyone else is doing, and it's no big deal. And my little bike, it's probably like 50cc, 100cc tops. I was going, getting up to 80 kilometers on a lot of the roads, so it was a blast. And there's just one, one road, again, small island, 250 square miles. There's just one big highway road, basically, that is in a big ring around the center part of the island. The northern tip of the island is all... A Mayan ruin. It's all forest and not open to development, so the road doesn't extend up there. But excluding that part, it this road rings around the island. So that's what I did. I did one lap around the whole thing, and um, I stopped at the ruins, which was cool. And nothing compared to Chichen Itza and some of the other bigger ones, I'm sure, but. It's an interesting history. And yeah, so I rode this road. It took me, I mean, I made a whole day out of it because I was making stops along the way. I stopped at little beach restaurants and stuff on the way, beach bars, and took in some of the sights. But yeah, it was a, it was a really fun time, and I highly recommend doing that if you come out to Cozumel. It did suck because at the very southern tip of the island, there was this bar that I was highly recommended to. Everyone that has been here longer than me recommended it. And I met up with a Canadian dude from my hostel and two German girls. And we were there for a bit, and it was some dark clouds were rolling in. So we hit the road, and it started just dumping on us coming back. So we were going probably only like 50 kilometers an hour coming back and it was it was cold and wet and got a little sketchy but made it back just fine and it was a blast 
Um, so yeah, another interesting story out at near the Mayan ruins. There's these guys making Mayan chocolate, Mayans invented chocolate, and using the cacao bean, which was their currency. Cacao bean was highly prized for medicine and food and had a lot of uses in the Mayan culture. So they had this like whole demonstration where they had the cacao beans, they crushed it up, you could try it, and then they crushed it up and put it on a mortar and pestle type of thing and added honey, added pimento, pimiento, and what else? Uh, vanilla, and a few other things, a few other Mayan herbs. And then they give you the roller, give me the roller, and I was able to like actually make chocolate and try it. It's pretty good, so I, I went to buy some and these they're little tiny squares, like six Hershey squares. You know, maybe three inches by three inches. And I say how much, expecting it to be expensive, like ten US dollars or something. And he says twenty five. I'm like, Oh, that's great, twenty five pesos. The conversion is one US dollar is about eighteen pesos, so I was like, Oh, okay, like a dollar twenty five, that's a that's great for this little thing of chocolate. So I grab two and I pull out a hundred peso note, thinking I'll get fifty pesos change back, and the guy's like, No 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 no, no. twenty five dollars. I was like, What? For this little thing? Absolutely not. So I started putting everything away and he goes, Okay, 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 let me talk to my boss. He goes and talks to him and comes back and he's like, Okay, okay. Both chocolates, thirty dollars. I was like, Absolutely not, fifteen dollars each for these little tiny things. I started to walk away. He goes, hang on, hang on, hang on. Talks to his boss again. Okay, okay. 100 pesos for both. So he went from $25 per chocolate bar to essentially $2.50 each. Um, and that's just... That was just an interesting learning experience. And something I got to get used to and better at is the whole haggling piece. But, yeah, it was... a. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Always haggle when in a country like Mexico. And third story this week, had my first dives, which is a blast. Meet at the dive shop every morning at 7.30 and then grab our gear, drive out to the boats, and then we hop on the boats, meet the, the customers out there, and then we go, and um, all the diving in Cozumel, from what I can tell, is essentially the same, because there's a current that goes north around both sides of the island, and all the boats are on the tourist side, on the west side here. So you drive down to the marina, grab your boat, head into the uh, channel, and go out south to just drive south for about 20 minutes, and then find a stopping point, hop in, and then you just let the drift take you, which is really cool. Drift diving is a ton of fun because it's just so easy. And it's been a really slow drift, the dives I've done, so it's just super easy. You know, no effort. You're just, like, basically floating. And I've heard that's not always the case. Sometimes it can be a really strong drift and be pretty challenging. But, yeah, so far it's been really, really pleasant and seen a ton like giant turtles there's this huge turtle that has a name i think it was Wan Chi, 
and I heard it's been here for 180 years and it has this huge gash in the back of its shell and from getting hit with a propeller like a boat propeller and it was huge like probably from head to tail four feet and probably weighs 200 pounds or something just massive and it was eating shells on the bottom of the ocean there um, saw some eels, saw a huge eel, probably eight feet long, green moray eel it's called. Saw a huge parrotfish, eagle rays, and yeah, just a lot of life down there. Really beautiful. And it's really, it's really been fun getting to know people on the dive boats. That's, that's one of the really, really cool things about diving is as you're heading out there, meeting just interesting people who have been all over the world and dove in all sorts of interesting places and come from all walks of life and you're stuck on a boat with them for four plus hours so you really get to know these people and the, the dive master program itself is awesome I mean if you have any interest in doing this I highly suggest it I didn't even know this type of thing existed like the hostel scuba shop pairing but apparently it is apparently it's how they do it all over the world but yeah essentially the, the scuba shop is right down there in the touristy area and then the hostel is just about four blocks up the street and I have a nice bed nice little room very bare bones no AC nothing fancy but it's all I need and it's just really fun just walking to the shop in the morning getting some good dives in, meeting some meeting some good people, and then heading back to the, the hostel, meeting some good people there, hanging out with my buddies that are going through the program with me. There's four of us total in the dive master and instructor syllabuses. And, and then you got all the transient people that are just there for a night or a week or whatever at the hostel. And it's just really fun just sitting in the common area just sitting down like asking someone where are you from and then just hearing about their life like one of the guys in the, the program with me is from Namibia which I knew nothing about but fascinating country it's like huge huge land wise huge not compared to the US but huge compared to a lot of countries it's the size of Texas but it's got only two and a half million people. So it's one of the least dense, the second least dense country in the world behind Mongolia. And he just hearing about life down there is just so interesting. Like he owned giraffes. He, he bought a bunch of giraffes and he had pictures of him with a cheetah and a zebra and stuff. It's just stuff that you don't think about or know about as someone growing up from in the Pacific Northwest. So, yeah, that's that's been awesome, just getting into people's life stories and hearing about life on the other side of the world. Um, but yeah, the dive program, it's, it's very inexpensive for what I get, which is, like I said, dives every single day, really good training. I have really, really good instructors and 
I, without reservation, would recommend the exact program I'm doing to anyone. And there are there are a bunch of ones just like it on island and apparently in other Central and South American countries, the hostel slash dive shop program. But it's really cool. Uh, what else? Yeah, the diving here, though, is just... It's unlike anything I've ever seen. There's so many people out there. Like, there's just dozens, probably hundreds of boats. And there's these giant barges, like these catamarans, that will take, like, 60 people out for snorkeling. So you'll just see these, like... They'll set up these buoys, and the customers will just be floating inside of it. Just so many masks and fins just flopping around that it's like overwhelming it's like how do they even keep track of them but um which kind of takes away from the the diving experience a little bit because you hear all the clicking of you know signaling devices and all the bubbles and you just see people everywhere but it's still you know you see so much life down there that it's still an incredible experience and they do a really good job of enforcing rules and keeping the environment protected. Like, it's, for example, they check for making sure people are using reef-safe sunscreen and um, enforcing the rules of the... It's a national park, the area, the, su the southern area of the island where the diving happens. So they do a good job, from what I can tell, of keeping the environment protected there but uh, yeah that's that's all I can think of for now and hopefully you learned something it's been a blast out here and I'll have more next week done <laughs>